Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Sunday service and welcome to everyone joining us online. We're here in the Temple of Light in Ananda Village and it's a glorious rainy day. We're <laughs> we are enjoying every single drop. So we have an interesting topic this week. Why do devotees fall? This is from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, comparing passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. An endlessly fascinating question is, why did Judas fall after receiving the extraordinary blessing of being accepted into the inner circle of Jesus Christ's disciples? For Judas was one of the 12 apostles, yet he betrayed Jesus and earned for himself the opprobrium of Christendom for all futurity for his sin. <clears throat> we find Judas reprimanding Jesus just days before that betrayal. Jesus, aware that his disciples would soon be facing with his death, the supreme tragedy of their lives, allowed Mary to express her devotion by anointing his feet with costly ointment. This wanton waste, as Judas saw it, awakened indignation in that disciple. <clears throat> Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and kept the purse and bare what was put therein. Then Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me ye have not always. Doubt not the power of delusion. Respect it, indeed fear it, though not in the sense of cowering before it. <clears throat> For as Yogananda said, one is not safe until he reaches Nirbhakalpa Samadhi, the state of final union with God. Judas, through attachment to money, opened his consciousness to subtle influences, which may be called satanic, that drew his thoughts toward other related attitudes, the importance of worldly power, for instance, and of world influence. The Bhagavad Gita gives a graphic explanation of how easily the mind can be drawn downward once it begins to feed on wrong attitudes. In the second chapter, Sri Krishna states, if one ponders on sense objects, there springs up attraction to them. From attraction grows desire. 
desire, impatient for fulfillment, flames to anger. From anger, there arises infatuation, the delusion that one object alone is worth clinging to, to the exclusion of all others. From infatuation ensues forgetfulness of the higher self. From forgetfulness of the self follows degeneration of the discriminative faculty. And when discrimination is lost, there follows the annihilation of one's spiritual life. At the, th at the first thought of delusion, Paramahansa Yogananda said, that is the time to stop it. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. Good morning, friends. And I too want to welcome those who are here and those who are watching online. I want to begin by reading, continuing this theme of delusion getting at us and actually getting us. I want to uh, read this from Paramahansa Yogananda's book, Whispers from Eternity. Teach us not to follow the will-o'-wisp of false happiness. Through the long night of error, we pursued the will-o'-wisp of false happiness. Gloom led only to deeper gloom. Our feet, struggling to follow the path of progress, often slipped into ruts and struggled through marshes of disillusionment. The deceiving Elmo's fire of passion lures many people to their doom. Thousands are sucked down into the bog of sense satiety. O oh, divine friend, extinguish with thy breath this false light of destructive glee, which has so often misled thy children, headed for thy home of, headed for thy home. Light instead the beacon of holy radiance, that every eager child pilgrim safely reach thy home. Well, poor Judas. He's much more to be pitied than to be condemned. Uh, all of us have not only failed, um, but will probably fail in the future. It is the story of mankind, story of existence. Judas had the blessing, I suppose, and the curse of having one of the most prominent roles ever to shine light on his failure. And so the betrayal of Jesus is now remembered and still condemned some 2,000 years later. Ours, at least, are covered over by the sands of time and, and forgotten, and nobody looks back at, at what we did 2,000 years ago. And, uh, condemns us. So poor Judas is, is really, in fact, to be condemned. 
I mean to be pitied rather than condemned. There is essentially one story, and we all lead it. There is one um, journey of the soul, and we are all embarked on that. And in fact, the story follows the same plot line again and again for every person in the world. Um, Swami Kriyananda said, look what God has done with two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. Everybody in the world is different and recognizable, and yet he's only got those four elements to work with. And so in the infinite creativity, you don't need too many elements to, to work with, but the infinite creativity has variations on those elements. So the essential story of creation is that there are two forces. There's a darkening force and a lightning force, uh, enlightening force. And everything in creation is caught somewhere in that, in that uh, tube between the darkest of the dark and the lightest of the light. And you and I are caught somewhere in there, according to our past karma, according to our openness to be influenced by the light or influenced, pulled down by the dark. And so that basically is the story of creation that God sends us out to the farthest reaches or the deepest deeps. And then through long struggle, we have to work our way back to where we came from and uh, back to our unity with God, which is what it is. This paradigm Swami has captured in the story, the soul's journey. So the soul's journey has the same arc, just like the face has the same elements. The soul's journey has the same arc, but there are infinite numbers of variations for each individual soul. But let's talk about that arc, because Swami has captured that journey of the soul in poetic form in the story of the little bird, which we will read during the Festival of Light. So what happens? What is that story? Well, to put it simply, we start from our home in God, and then we leave that home. And when we leave that home, we enter into the unknown, and we enter into a, a struggle. Now, that struggle seems to be outward, but Ultimately, it's all consciousness, so the struggle is inward. But we leave that home, and our first phase is, to, is a descent from where we were. So um, we're, we go forth into the world, and what does the poor little bird do? He begins to think, this is great. What else's wisdom is not to keep what is mine for myself. And so that emphasis on selfhood, the emphasis on holding on to something, draws us downward. 
Now, ultimately, you know, I was talking about the kind of tube. The tube is the spine, um, the astral spine, the spine of consciousness. And the downward pull wants to draw us down into the lower worldly poles that, that God has created. I, I mean, he has, he's really created temptation. He's very good at what he does. And so the, the lower three chakras represent um, possessions, pleasure, and power. And there is infinite variation, but we're all pulled toward those three primordial forces. Now, Judas, uh, his particular weakness, let's say, was to be pulled down because of some attachment to money, and, uh, or in this case, possession. But Swami also speculates that it wasn't really that that caught him. I mean, he did have that weakness. So that was the, see, delusion is infinitely intelligent. That's, that's why Satan is intelligent. Satan represents that downward pull of delusion. Well, he's infinitely intelligent, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he knows where our weakness is, and that's where we're going to get tempted, each one of us. And so Judas's weakness was, yes, money, and so he was tempted in order to, um, in order to have 30 shekels of silver, which is not all that much. It's, in today's value, it's 15 to 20,000. So it's not like you can look at him and say, well, gee, he was going to become the world's richest person. Maybe I would have gone there too. You know, it, it wasn't all that much. But what Swami speculated is that it was really only symbolic. That wasn't his real pull. It was that he had a desire to be accepted. He had a desire to have his master, Jesus, finally show his power to the world. And how was he going to get him to show his power? Jesus kept kind of hidden a little bit. Well, the best way was to uh, betray him, and then he would show his, his power to overcome that, and they would be accepted, and they would then go on to whatever Judas, see, when you have that downward spiral, as it said in the Gita, you lose your discrimination and you begin to rationalize. As you get farther down that slippery slope, you begin to rationalize why, of course, what I'm doing is the only logical thing to be done. It's, it's absolutely right. Doesn't matter what you're doing, you can be a mass murderer and you're going to rationalize some reason that that's right. So that downward pull is what we're all fighting against, and we're all going to be tested with whatever particular weakness coming from karmic patterns of the past, whatever particular weakness we have is going to be um, 
tested, so we're going to be tempted. So now following the little bird, so his first thought is to keep what is mine for myself. That's the lower three chakras saying, um, let's, let's stay in form, let's keep what is ours. That's, that's what wisdom is. Gradually, he begins to struggle against that. This is, again, the arc of the soul. It's just the poetic journey. So we struggle against the downward pull, just like the little bird. He can sit on the ground. The downward pull, in that case, is gravity. The least effort of all is just to sit on the ground. So we, it's easy to be pulled into temptation. But the little bird has to flap his wings. He has to struggle. We have to struggle. We have to put out energy. And as we do, symbolically, the little bird rises up into the air. And so we, too, rise up in consciousness as we begin to put out effort toward the desire to rise against the pull of temptation. As we rise, then we're going to be tempted because there is that downward pull that is always there. And so the little bird, as he rises, he has to struggle against fear. And night comes and, and a storm comes and he, he, he grows afraid. And, and yet then what happens is if we continue our struggle, then the powers of the universe come in to begin to support us. So the wind and the rain and the grassy fields, they begin to support. So these are the divine powers, and they begin to support our efforts. And as we attune ourselves to those, then there comes a point at which there's a divine help that comes. And in that divine help, we are transformed, finally, back to the home that we came from. I guess we don't have it here. It's in the back. But you've all seen the joy symbol. That's a, a symbolic, a visual representation of this journey. So we, the, the bottom peak is like the earth. We come up from the earth. We're given a kind of a momentum upward. But then we go out and we succumb to the downward pulling forces. And we have to struggle against that. And then we finally come up, rising up until we reach the very height. And when we reach the very height, then we can bring that energy back down to the benefit of mankind. Now, it isn't only our journey, it's the it's just the journey of the soul. And even the great masters have to demonstrate their ability to overcome um, the downward pulling temptations. So what in Jesus's life, he had to go out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. His particular temptation was dominion over all the earth. He, he was born to be the king, the king of all creation. And so he goes into the desert, and, and the temptation, the downward pulling temptation said, you want, 
You want to be the king? Just, I'll, I'll give you the power to become the king. You can become the ruler of all the earth. All you have to do is worship me or attune to the downward pulling energy. And Jesus, of course, overcomes that. Yogananda had it. When he overcomes, then he gains the power to begin to transform others. Yogananda had it. Um, he, he, at a certain point in his life, he had obviously, here's another great savior of mankind. And so at a certain point in his life, he had struggled to find the link to God, the guru. He finally finds that. He's about to achieve his goal. And then the delusion, the temptation comes in. But it's really in the Himalayas that you're going to find enlightenment. Here, this guru, I know he's great, but he has you going to college and living in Calcutta or on the outskirts of Calcutta and kind of subject to your own family's derision. Go to the Himalayas and that's where you'll find enlightenment. So Yogananda is tempted. He quickly realizes this isn't the way. He comes back. When he comes back, there's something beautiful because this is the arc of the soul. When we overcome temptation, then we're given power. Yogananda comes back, and if you have a careful reading of the uh, autobiography of a yogi, it's absolutely beautiful because when he comes back, Sri Yukteswar doesn't miss a beat. He just, like, he has only been gone an hour. He just, there's no condemnation. There's absolute acceptance, absolute love. Yogananda said that that unalloyed, um, absolute love opened something in his heart. And when his heart opened, two or three days later followed the great experience in cosmic consciousness. But see, when this arc of the soul, when we overcome that tempting force, whatever it is, if we overcome it, that then releases us to have the experience of, of the final ascent that brings us into enlightenment. But how many times do we move toward that and the pull of temptation pulls us down? And as it says so beautifully in the Gita, as we gaze at whatever that tempting thing is, as we fix our mind on it, it begins to become attractive. And as it begins to become attractive, we're drawn to it. We want to fulfill the desire. And in that desire to fulfill it, then anger comes in and anger um, leads to infatuation and infatuation leads to lack of discrimination. We're no longer able, as it said, uh, the easy rationalizations of the downward pull then come in. We're no longer able to resist and, and we fail. So discrimination will bring us back, but only, only after we've 
failed a lot of times. So, so anyway, so that journey, arc of the soul, the journey comes, and um, by resisting temptation, resisting that downward pull, overcoming whatever test is going to be specifically designed for our weaknesses, when we overcome that, then we are released to become united with God. The, the, then God's power can actually work with us. Now, why do, we, why do we get so upset with Judas? I mean, all he did really was to point out who Jesus was. And, and it was the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Romans, who did the arresting and the, and the trial and the crucifixion. But we aren't so angry at them. We kind of expect them to act that way. Why are we upset? Why 2,000 years later do we condemn Judas? Because when you get so close to the goal, when the consciousness is high, we intuitively, intuitively recognize it's just a step or two more and, and you will achieve the end result of this arc of the soul. Probably most of us have seen the movie Lord of the Rings. And here, after enormous struggle, Frodo is there and he's ready to cast the ring representing the ego into the fire from which it was born so that it can be destroyed. And he can't do it. But what would have happened if the movie had ended there and Frodo had decided, oh, heck, I'm done with this. And he had left there and gone back and tried to become the ruler of the world with the ring. It wouldn't have been very a nice movie, would it? And we would have all have condemned Frodo for that action. But, but the forces, because he really did desire it, yes, he was tempted. Yes, we're going to be tempted. But if the thrust of the desire is to overcome, then the forces of the universe will support that, and we will emerge ultimately victorious. So now the real question comes, how do, we, how do we achieve that goal? Well, the, the reading of the affirmation was one, discrimination. But if we're in that downward spiral, spiral, discrimination is lost. That's the very thing that's taken away from us. And easy rationalization comes in. So the only real thing, remember, it's always this we're, we're floating somewhere in this, um, this column between darkness and light. The real answer is given to oppose exactly the way that it's given in the Gita, by gazing downward toward the lower qualities, we're attracted to that. The gazing creates attraction and attraction creates desire. Desire, if not fulfilled, creates anger. But think of that in the opposite direction. By gazing upward, 
by gazing toward the light. We become attracted toward that. That's why it is so important that we do daily meditation. Physically, we're gazing up into the light. We're trying to attune to the consciousness and the teachings of, 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 the, of the Savior who will pull us out of this dilemma. If Judas, that's, that's why Swami starts, or the Bible starts, he just quotes it, with Judas um, turning away from Christ mentally by condemning him for using the ointment. So it was not really the cost of the ointment, it was the judgment or the turning of his gaze away from the light, away from the Savior. So the solution is to turn toward the light. And what we need to do, if we're going to overcome our temptations, is we need to do everything that we can to turn toward the light. We need daily meditation and literally lifting our gaze toward the light. We need attunement with the, with the guru. In Judas's case, if he had just attuned back to Jesus, Jesus would have lifted him out of that. So we need attunement. We need satsang. If Judas had gone to Peter and John and said, look, I'm having this difficulty, this temptation, this problem, can you help me? They would have helped him. But even they were tempted. Peter denied Christ three times that night. So, so at any rate, but these forces, there are upward lifting forces. And as we turn our consciousness toward those, and not just one, we should use every one at our disposal. As we turn our consciousness toward that, we become attracted to that. And as we become attracted to that, we desire it. And as we desire it, uh, we get a little frustrated. Do you ever get frustrated that you're not able to go deeper into meditation than what you are? Of course, we all do. It's part of the process. That frustration leads, in this case, it says that anger leads to loss of discrimination. But the discrimination that it leads to in the upward direction is the, is the desire to be a part of this world. And so by the upward gaze, by the upward focus, we ultimately overcome the temptation that we're all going to get for, faced with, forced into, because it is the arc of the soul. Joseph Campbell, this is true in all different religions and mythology. Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Hero's Journey. And it is basically this journey, the journey of the soul. The hero leaves his familiar thing. He goes out into the unknown. He's challenged. He has to fight. And if he fights and is victorious, then he begins to gain power. He ultimately overcomes, and usually there's a magical or uh, some sort of godlike uh, power that comes, and then he returns home victorious. Again, it's not that Joseph Campbell made this up. 
It said all mythology and religion. It, we intuitively understand this arc, this journey of the soul. And so that's, that's the journey that we're all on. And it's the, the test that we're all going to face. Thank goodness that we have each other to help us with that journey. Thank goodness that we have the power and the clarity of these teachings that will um, give us the light toward which we are going to keep our gaze focused. And ultimately, what we have above all, because we came from that home, we have the grace of God. And these are the nearly the final words in the Bhagavad Gita, that great scripture. This is Krishna talking to Arjuna, but it's God talking to each one of us. So take this as God talking to you. Again, hear now my supreme word, the most secret and sacred of all, because you are dearly beloved by me. I offer it now for your highest benefit. Absorb yourself in me. Be wholly devoted to me. Worship and bow to me alone. So shall you undoubtedly reach me. This I promise you faithfully, for you are dear to me. Forsaking all other duties, remember me alone. I will free you from all sin, even from the fear of not fulfilling lesser duties. Do not grieve. So that's God's promise to him. All we have to do is cling to him, but it's not easy. So let's support each other in that arc, that journey of the soul. Why?
what they might have done. You shining star has become